Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. This morning, we're kind of taking a week out of our normal preaching schedule. So if you've been around for the last few weeks, you'll know that we've uh, started a series called Faithful Presence. Um, And whilst today's talk doesn't fit directly into that, this is just for us in Stockwell, it is kind of within that framework. Um, And this morning, I just want to talk about how we as a community help people to find new life in Jesus. So this is obviously one of the primary reasons for us being here in London, is how do we help people explore faith and find faith in him? And um, as David Stroud mentioned at the summer retreat this year, I think one of the things that we have huge disappointment about is that we haven't seen more people find new faith and new life in Jesus. And we think that this next season of life as a church and for us as a um, a service is kind of growing in that. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And just to flag, I realize that if you are here and that you don't actually identify as a Christian, uh, then this might feel a little strange, like a whole room of people talking about how we help people like you to find Jesus. Um, So let me just say up front, we are just super glad that you are here. We count it a huge privilege that you would investigate faith with us as a community. Um, It is not my intention to give you a hard sell this morning or to kind of try and coerce you into something that you don't want to do. We just think that it's important for us time to time to talk about these things as family together. Um, And so I hope that you find this interesting. I hope this doesn't put you off in any way. Um, But yeah, you kind of get to listen in to how we talk as family about helping people find faith. Um, And so the the name people often give to this is evangelism, right? Which I know for many of us is kind of a concept that instead of filling us with hope and faith and joy, kind of fills us with the opposite. Which I think is kind of crazy when we stop to think that literally the word evangelism means to share good news, to announce good news. That's what it means. But I guess maybe not so crazy when we consider how many of us have experienced people evangelizing us in the past. Um, So years ago, Christchurch used to meet um, in the Piccadilly Theatre, Piccadilly Circus, and there was a guy there, like every week, with a megaphone, shouting at people about Jesus. Um, Can't say it's probably the most effective way, but I, I was walking past one day and he shouted at me, do you know Jesus? I was like, yes, yes I do, he's changed my life. And his follow-up wasn't, oh, that's great, tell me your story. It was like, then why aren't you out here doing what I'm doing? I was like, oh, I kind of paused. And he took that pause as like an invitation to keep on talking. And I was drinking a milkshake at the time. And he pointed at the milkshake and he pointed at me and said, you are a glutton. You are under the judgment of God. And then just kind of monologued about the judgment of God. And um, I kind of, I like, sorry, I need to interrupt you. I'm really not feeling the love of Jesus from you, my friend. And so I walked off. That is bad evangelism, if you can call it evangelism in any way. And there was this idea going around at university when I was there, that in order to tell people the good news about Jesus, you first had to try and make them realize how bad they were. That there was only one way. In order to tell the good news, you have to tell a lot of bad news first. But Jesus himself said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. What's the assumption there? that there are some people who are not thirsty and are not looking for a drink. And there's this kind of crazy idea that it's our job to make people thirsty. 
It's just like metaphorically, we have to feed them lots of salty snacks over and over and over, force feed them until, fine, I'm thirsty, give me a drink. But I don't think that is our job at all. That is bad evangelism. And if you have ever been on the receiving end of that, I am so, so sorry. Like, we don't want to be doing that. The good news of Jesus is good, and we can tell the good news of Jesus as good news. Um, If you'd asked me last year how I was doing, I would have said this. I'm amazing, I've just been to Hamilton. Um, This next picture is a picture of me and Nathan Gamester, who's around somewhere. Like, that's where... These are our seats, right? So I'm taking the girls home from school, and I get a phone call from Sam Broining, who's, like, organised this corporate event to Hamilton, and um, two of his clients have dropped out. So he calls me at six, and he says, if you can get here by seven, I've got a ticket for Hamilton for you. So I, like, dropped the girls off at the gate, gave them the key, so, like, watch TV, wait for mommy to get back, I'm off. (laughs) Which is kind of not all true, but that's pretty much what it was. I'm out of here, I'm there. And so we had, like, a private room, they gave us drinks beforehand, during, after, programs, everything, amazing seats. For the next, kind of, few weeks, every conversation I was in, I told this story. (laughs) And do you know what I didn't do? I did not once try and make someone feel bad first before telling them this story. It was just good news that I could tell them. And that is what we are to do. That is what evangelism is. And the antidote to bad evangelism is not no evangelism. It is good evangelism. You see, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the good news that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, come to show us God's love, come to save us from not only our sin, but from the sin outside of us as well. Come to set up God's kingdom of justice and mercy and love, all so that we can share in the communal life of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is good news. That is news worth sharing. Victor Hugo, who's the author of Les Mis, he said this, he said, the greatest happiness in life is the conviction that we are loved. Loved for ourselves, or rather loved in spite of ourselves. And now I know it doesn't look like this picture that he ever had that conviction himself, but it is true, isn't it, to know that we are loved, so loved, that Jesus, the creator of the whole world, came to earth, was born as a man, died in our place. That is incredible news. So how do we get better at sharing this good news? I mean, that's the question for us, isn't it? That is what I imagine those of us who do believe this is good news, have responded to this good news, that we want to do. We want to help share it with our friends in a way that isn't kind of awkward or pushy or judgmental or disrespectful or arrogant or unloving or cheesy or shaming or, as the mean girls say, social suicide. We want to work out how do we do this? Well, I think that one way to do this is to move kind of beyond the narrow category of evangelism to the broader category of being a witness to the good news of Jesus, which is actually what Jesus said that we would be. Speaking to his disciples after the resurrection, he said, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He didn't say you're all going to be evangelists. He says you're all going to be witnesses. And obviously sometimes being a witness does include doing the work of an evangelist. It does include sharing the good news verbally. Um, But in the book, Becoming a Contagious Christian, the authors outline seven different ways or approaches to being a witness to the good news. Um, And just because I've added a couple more, and so that's what we're going to go through this morning. So let's start. The first one. This is kind of the default understanding of being a witness. Sharing the good news of the gospel and asking people to respond to it. And I've called this approach challenging 
because that is what we all need. All of us, at different points in our journey, even now, we need someone to challenge us and say, this is what you have heard. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? A good example of this, I think, is Peter in Acts chapter 2. So the Feast of Pentecost, Jerusalem is full of people, and he goes out and preaches this amazing sermon, lays it out on the line. Jesus is the Messiah that you've been waiting for, but you killed him. But don't worry, God raised him from the dead, and there is now life and forgiveness in him. And it says in Acts 2, when the people heard Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. Turn from this former life, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need people who can do this, who can present the gospel in a way that is clear and understandable, in a way that makes it sound both plausible and desirable, in a tone, most importantly, that is loving and inviting, and then we need people to ask others to respond to it. There's a famous quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, a 12th century French monk, and he says, uh, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. You heard this? Two problems. One, he never said it. Like, can't find that anywhere in like, any writing. Didn't say it, just attributed to him. And the second problem is that the gospel is a message with content that needs to be communicated through language in order for people to understand it and therefore respond to it. And this is as such an incredibly important part of our witness to people. Something that we as a community, I think we need to grow in. And for the people who feel like this is their thing, we need to support them and encourage them in that. Because I would hazard a guess that for most of us, this, like, this feels super awkward, having these types of conversations. But there's good news, because this is not the only way to be a witness. So you can also witness by sharing your story. If you've been brought up in church, then you probably would like, think of this as giving your testimony, which unfortunately sounds a little bit too like we are in the dock when we do this. And so this is like John 9. Jesus heals a man who has been blind since birth. Like, this is the most incredible miracle. Only trouble is he does this on the Sabbath, on the Saturday, their holy day, which for the religious elite, the Pharisees, that was a big no-no. And so they're using this fact to argue that Jesus can't be from God because a man of God wouldn't break God's Sabbath law. But the people aren't convinced. I mean, like, this guy literally healed this man. Like, he must be good. And so the Pharisees drag this guy in front of, like, the whole of the synagogue, and they start to question him. And this is what he says. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That's literally all I know. Who Jesus is, what he's about, where his power comes from, I have no idea. But before I met him, I couldn't see, and now I can. So just do with that what you will. I think so many of us are put off talking to our friends about Jesus because we think that we need all the answers to our friends' questions. My advice is don't start there. Start with your journey. Start with what Jesus means to you. Start with how your life has been changed. Start with the reasons that you follow him. In one of his letters to the early church, this is what one of Jesus' friends, Peter, says. He says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The reason for the hope that you have. Not explaining all the big questions, but why? Why is there a hope in you because of Jesus? 
Don't underestimate the power of your story to make the gospel sound plausible and beautiful. But listen to the wisdom of Peter. He effectively says, wait to be asked. So yes, you can print out your testimony and hand it to everyone in the street. You can go up and down tube lines like shouting at people about what Jesus has done for you. I mean, that may work as a scattergun approach, but honestly, I doubt it. Wait until people ask. Live with them long enough that they see something in you. Say, can, can we talk about that? And then just be ready. Share your story. Explain your hope. And speaking of relationships, one of the best witnessing approaches, in my opinion, is the befriending approach. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Being a good friend to people is an incredible witness. Being hospitable, having a home that people feel like they belong to, feel welcome in. Being someone who truly listens and tries to understand, that is a rare thing in our day and age. The Mennonite author David Osberger says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. How do you love you listen. You listen well. You try and understand. And I, it's very important to note here that I am not saying we use friendship as a way to convert people. Don't hear what I'm not saying. As if friendship is some kind of strategy that we utilize. I'm sure we've all been in conversations with people who are like, seem super friendly, and then we realize they're trying to sell us something, and we don't want it, and as soon as they know that we don't want it, they're out of there. I mean, that is not what I am talking about. So we should not have an ulterior motive in loving people. Loving people is the thing. No strings attached. No matter what they think about Jesus and come to think about Jesus, no matter how they live their lives, we just want to love people. But we do have an ultimate goal for them, don't we? If we truly love someone and if we truly believe that Jesus is as amazing as he is, then love will direct us to talking to them about him. So we don't have an ulterior motive, but we do have an ultimate goal. In like the classic thing, people don't want to hear what you know until they know. No. Does anyone know that line? <laughs> Forget this. There you go. Say it again, Liz. People don't care what you know until they know. Just came to me and I couldn't remember it. This is why you should write this stuff down. <laughs> it's so important. People like they won't listen until they know that you would love them. And so love people well and allow that to be a great witness to them. Help them on their journey. So that's befriending, but then there's also the reasoning approach. This is often called like apologetics or known as apologetics. This is Paul in Acts 17, walking around Athens, seeing all the idols, the shrines that people have to their gods, and then day by day reasoning with people, both in the synagogue and in the marketplace, about the truth and the goodness and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And you see in Acts 17, Paul doesn't quote scripture at all. Instead, he quotes their poets and their philosophers. He uses logical arguments to try and persuade people. He tries to remove intellectual roadblocks to faith. And I know that for some of you, this is right up your street. You love nothing more than deep, philosophically rich conversations over a meal or over a beer. And for others of us, this completely freaks us out. This kind of can even stop us having those conversations because you think, well, it's all very well sharing my story, but they're going to ask me at some point a question I don't know the answer to. What do I do then? Do you know what you do in that conversation? You say, that is a really great question. 
and something I need to think and read about more. Can we talk about this again at some point? And then you email Liam Thatcher. <laughs> um, but seriously, we don't need all the answers. We can go on the journey with our friends, discovering together. If you've never thought about this, so we were at Alpha um, this week, and uh, one of our um, guests was talking about which dimension God exists in, and like his relationship to time. It's like, I have no idea. But let, let's talk about that some more when I can ask Chris Oldfield about that. Um, this guy called Nabil Qureshi is an amazing guy, sadly died a few years ago. And in his book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, he tells about his journey from Islam to faith in Jesus. And a big part of that journey was this guy on the right there, uh, David Wood, who was a Christian. He met at university. They became friends. And then they spent hours and hours debating the historical claims of Christianity and Islam. Do you know how much David Wood knew about Islam when they first became friends? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He didn't even know much about defending the historical claims of Christianity. So they journeyed together. Over the years, they read loads of books. They like, went to mosques and they went to churches. They met one another's families, the people that were important to them. And they worked this thing through together. And a few years down the line, Nabil became a Christian. And now David Wood is an expert in Islam and helping Muslims answer questions about Jesus. But my point is, it didn't start there. It started with lots of conversations, which was like, I have no idea. Let's go and read about this together. So, so just do that. Um, the next one, inviting, the inviting approach. So this is the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. She has this incredible encounter with Jesus where she feels known and loved for the first time. He's given her hope for the future, and so she rushes back to her people, to the town, and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they all came out of the town, and they made their way towards Jesus. She invited them to come and experience, come and see something that she had. Um, anyone know who Albert McCain is? Anyone? Couldn't even find a picture of him. That's how unknown he is. Albert McCain worked for Frank Graham. And um, there was a, a kind of a revivalist meeting, and a preacher came into town. And he was the guy that persuaded Billy Graham to come along to this meeting. And at this meeting, Billy Graham became a Christian. And then Billy Graham has helped millions of people become Christians since. But my point is, no invitation from Albert, no Billy Graham. He was the guy that persuaded him and then drove him. Come and hear this guy, this is amazing. And then world transformation. And depending on which surveys you read, um, depending on which studies you look at, it's estimated that either between 25% or 60% of people asked would come to church if someone just invited them to. Isn't that incredible? Like one in four people, at the minimum, if they were asked to come to church, would. They're interested enough to, yeah, I would like to check this out. I think we can often say no for people, can't we? We decide for them that this is probably going to be a no, and so I don't want to risk anything here, and so I just won't ask. But really, what is the worst thing that can happen? They say no. We live in London. People are super busy. They say no to stuff all the time. Don't take it as a personal insult. This is, maybe just doesn't work for them. What's the, the literal worst thing that happens is someone says, thanks so much for inviting me, but no thank you this time. And I was saying this, be specific. If you say, do you want to come to church sometime, they have to think, do I ever want to come to church in the history of the, like my life? They might give a different answer to, do you want to come to church this Sunday? That's a really easy thing for them to say yes or no to. And so just 
Ask people. Let's get good at asking people to stuff. Number six, uh, the helping approach. So this is Tabitha, a woman called Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, who we are told was always doing good and helping the poor. Tabitha was someone who witnessed to the love of Jesus, mainly through her actions, not through her words. And it seems that her ministry was so incredible and so important to her community that when she got sick and died, they sent people to go get Paul, bring him back, and pray that she be raised from the dead. And she was. I mean, you can read that in Acts chapter 9. It appears that God really likes people that help the poor. I don't know if that's the moral of that story, but that's what I'm putting out there. I personally think that this is one of the most important witnesses of the church to a watching world. How do we respond to the quote-unquote poor? How do we respond to the poor within our community? How do we respond to the poor that we are in economic relationship with all over the world because of our purchasing habits? Or to put it another way, to not help the poor damages our witness and makes the gospel less credible. And I could spend the whole morning talking about that, but I won't. So let's move on. Number six, the praying approach or the supernatural power approach. So this is Peter and John in Acts chapter, nine, uh, Acts chapter 3. They're walking to the temple to worship God and they see someone there who is begging. We're told he'd been lame since birth and he asked for money. And you probably, if you've been around in church, know this story. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the man jumps up and he walks. It says, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This approach is all about not just witnessing to the truth of the gospel, but to the power of the gospel too. Over the summer, uh, summer, Jackie and I read Scattered Servants by a guy called Alan Scott, who was leading at the time um, Causeway Coast Vineyard Church in Northern Ireland. And it kind of details their journey as a community, wanting to see more of the power of God kind of within their whole community. And so one of the things they did was start a ministry called Healing on the Streets. And they just rock up in the town centre every Saturday, this big banner that said Healing, two chairs, and they'd invite anyone to come forward for prayer. And they have seen incredible, incredible healings. They have incredible stories of whole families coming to faith because one person in the family encountered the power of Jesus and were in either physically healed or emotionally and spiritually healed. And like we're reading this, and it's just very easy to say, ah, that's a different context. That's Northern Ireland, such a Christian nation anyway, so much Christian heritage, could that really work here? Well, at the church retreat this summer, I had um, lunch with a guy from one of the other services, and he told me his story to faith. And it happened right down the road at St. Mark's in Kennington. Um, So he had grown up in a family that went to church, age around 14, stopped going to church, never looked back. Then in his 20s, started dating a woman, and her her mum was really sick. So for six years, she'd been living with internal bleeding, and she'd recently been given the prognosis that she had six months to live. So he said, like, entering into this family was like entering into a family ready to mourn. Um, and his, uh, the, his girlfriend's mother was a strict Roman Catholic. Um, but she had a friend who invited her, again, power of invitation, to an evening service at St. Mark's because there was this guy who apparently had this amazing healing ministry. Um, at first, she was, like, super reluctant, didn't want to go. And her friend said, what's the worst that could happen? What do you have to lose? And so on the Wednesday night, she turned up to an event with John Wimber. So many of you may know John Wimber, started the Vineyard Movement, amazing prophetic and evangelistic um, and like power healing ministry. And that night, Wimber and his team prayed for her, 
and she felt something happen in her body when she was there. That night, there was no bleeding. The next day, there was no bleeding. She knew that she'd been healed. Friday, she gathers the whole family together and says, this is what's happened to me. She takes them all with her to church that night and seven of them find faith in Jesus in a day. Isn't that incredible? That's, that's just down the road. That's like we could walk there and we could stand outside the church and see where this kind of thing happened. Jesus still does this. He still does this through people like us, which is just crazy to think about, isn't it? And this is something that we really want to grow in. This is something we want to learn how to do together. We want to learn how to do it here on a Sunday and in our connect groups and when we meet. But we also want to learn as individuals out in the world. How do we do this? How do we pray for our friends and neighbours and co-workers? How do we hear from God for them in a way that unlocks their heart and like makes the gospel real and Jesus real? We want to learn how to do that together. The number eight. Witnessing through art, through storytelling, through music, through poetry, through dance. This is people like Bezalel and Aholiabab. Nope, that's not right. I was trying to say that too fast. Aholiab. Old Testament names. Super tricky. Um, they were people that used their God-given artistic skill and gift to make and beautify the Ark of the Covenant and the tent of meeting and the clothes that the priests wore in order that the people of Israel might more easily connect with the divine. You may have heard us talk about this before, but there is this idea that we now live in a disenchanted world, that the modern secular story has removed the transcendent from our lives, it has emptied our lives of God and the supernatural, it has attempted to locate the source of beauty and truth and goodness and hope within the finite material world that we find ourselves in. But as many have discovered, the finite material world, it cannot bear the weight of our deepest longings for something bigger, something more beautiful, something more powerful and more hopeful than what we see around us. It's like we are haunted by transcendence. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And part of our role is to help awaken people's desire, to help awaken their longing for more than what they can see around them, to help them discover that the Christian story offers a place for that longing. Our role is to help re-enchant the world. And one of the most powerful ways I think we can do this is through art that connects us to a transcendent beauty, or art that helps give voice to our deepest longings, and helps awaken in us hope for a different world, a better world, hope for a world inhabited by a good and loving God. A few years before his untimely death, Steve Jobs um, flew out Yo-Yo Ma for a private um, performance at Apple's headquarters. And when Yo-Yo Ma, the world's greatest cellist, had finished playing Bach's cello suites, there was this awed silence in the room. And eventually Steve Jobs stood up and said, that is the best argument for God I have ever heard. That is what music and art can do. And I think we often leave out our creatives from the whole witnessing conversation. When we do that, we make a whole group of people feel they've got nothing to offer when they have such a vital role to play. We miss out on equipping and resourcing them to be involved in one of the most powerful ways of helping people engage with the reality of God, with the transcendent, with the divine, at kind of a gut level that bypasses like the rational mind and just gives us an experience of 
There's, there's more to life than what I see. We do not want to do that here. Okay, so artists, you are involved in this witnessing as the rest of us, and we want to honour you, and we want to champion you in what you are doing. And then finally, community living. I think one of the greatest witnesses to the truth and beauty and goodness of the gospel story is the life that we live together. This is the book of Acts, chapter 2, well-known passage. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see what Luke, the author of Acts, does there? He links people coming to faith in Jesus with an experience of the witness of the church community. There is something beautiful and powerful about a group of people who are connected through no other reason than Jesus. A group of people who are learning how to live together and love one another well and helping one another live out their faith in the world that they find themselves in. Live out in such a way that is good, not just for them, but their community. And I say all that to say that if your focus, if your energy, if your passion and time is being poured into building a strong community here, a community that's helping form one another to become more like Jesus for the good of the city, then you are being an incredible witness. Keep doing what you are doing. We need you to do that. So there we go. There are nine ways to witness to the good news of Jesus. So my question to you is, which one of these ways kind of feels most comfortable? If you had to pick just one, which I know for you Enneagram 7s, if you know that, like that's an awful thing to do. But if you had to pick just one, what would your natural one, one be? Like where do you sit most comfortably, do you think? Which style? Do you mind if we do a quick straw poll? You don't have to put your hand up if you don't want to. Just kind of interested. Okay. The challenging style. Anyone think that's where I operate? This is why we're not seeing people find faith. <laughs> This is what we need to pray for. Uh, the befriending. Yeah. Not a surprise. Reasoning. You love a good conversation. Yeah, there's a few of us. Uh, inviting. Just love to invite people. Need some more inviting, please. Invite people to stuff. Uh, helping. Man, this, this is We, like, as a community, we are across the board right now. This is great. Uh, praying. Supernatural. There's a few of us. Art, creating that world, yes, yes, yes. And community living, not a surprise in any way. Okay, so that is all like super interesting in some ways, super theoretical. Let's try and move this uh, into the realm of the practical. Uh, I think for any of these styles, a good rule of thumb is to take the advice of Aaron Burr from Hamilton, which is talk less, smile more. Um, In other words, we are to listen more than we speak and ask more questions than we answer. That's a good rule of thumb for any type of witnessing, I think. So with that in mind, and in the spirit of us wanting as a community to become better witnesses, help more people find faith, my challenge to you all and myself this week is to ask one question of one person. Um, Have the next slide up. Okay, it doesn't have to be this particular question, so like the thing you're most like feel comfortable with So if it's a challenging, do you want to respond to Jesus? You probably need some relationship there. 
in order to do that. Um, can I tell you my story? Do you have friends that you've, like, this could be an easy way. Hey, this is what happened to me this week. Or someone asked, how was your weekend? Let me tell you about church. We're talking about how to help people like you find Jesus. Um, befriending. Invite someone over for dinner. That's a super easy one for you hospitable people, isn't it? Invite someone for dinner. Uh, reasoning. Do you want to talk about this some more? Um, inviting. You, you get the idea. Community living. I didn't know what the question would be for that one. You guys can work that out. Put it on our Facebook and let me know. Um, and So are you up for this? One person... One question, like move on your relationship, grow in witnessing to the love of Jesus. Um, and I would love it if you got in touch to say how that was going. So either email Tim at Christchurchlands.org or if you want to let the whole group know on our Facebook group, that would be great. And then just as a last aside, uh, maybe the band could come back up. The reason that we are going so big on Alpha is because it hits nearly all of these styles of witnessing. So each week, we eat together over a meal and get to know one another. Each week, someone will share their, story, share their story of coming to faith. We then reason together about what we have heard. And during the eight weeks, we offer to pray for people and with people. And at some point, if and when it is appropriate, people will be asked to respond to what they have heard. Uh, we haven't quite worked out how to give people a transcendent artistic experience. Uh, the zillionaire cheesecake we had last week it was good but it's not that good so we still need to work on that but apart from that like this is what alpha does it kind of takes all these different styles of witnessing and puts them in one place and so if you're an inviter maybe invite someone to alpha as lou said this is week two who is jesus like if this is a super easy ask basically do you want a free dinner like with a whole bunch of people and do you want to think about the most influential person who has ever lived? Do you think an evening thinking about Jesus would be worth your time? Come along. No commitment. Don't have to come back. Just come along and have a great evening. I mean, that, that's an easy ask, right? So we have till Wednesday night to make that ask. If, if you're an inviter and you're thinking, what's my one question? Are there, is there anyone in your life that you can invite along to Alpha? I guarantee you they will have a great evening. It's a great venue. The food is really great. Liam is fantastic doing all the talks. They don't have to come to the whole thing, just this one evening. Come to one evening and explore the claims of Jesus. Um, we, are giving, we gave these out at Alpha last week. We've got a whole bunch out there. Um, this might be good for your friend. It might be good for you. Like, why Jesus? Who is this person? Start with that. Okay. So I realise today is in many ways been like super practical, super theoretical, a lot of content. My hope is this will kind of kickstart us into thinking about this and will encourage all of us that this is a part all of us can play in witnessing to the people around us. Um, but I guess like, we know what the most motivating thing is for those of us who have faith, isn't it? It's worship. It's asking the Holy Spirit to make this, the truth of the gospel come alive in our own hearts. Like, I could tell people about Hamilton because Hamilton was definitely good news for me. Like, if you're feeling, I just don't know, like, is this good news? Then you need to sink this into your heart a bit more. We want to be going out, this is great news. I have engaged with this. This has changed my life. We want to be witnessing out of that. And one of the best ways to do that is to meditate upon Jesus, to think about Jesus, think about what he has done. So that is what we're going to do for the next while. Um, about 10, 15 minutes, I'm going to come up and pray some stuff. But why don't we stand now and we are going to worship this amazing God together.